Welcome to the American Downhiller Podcast. This is episode number 14 presented by SkiRacing.com. Thank you all for listening and watching all season long and keep spreading the word to your friends. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest, a name many of you will recognize after this season, but a racer many of us don't actually know very well. It is Bella Wright, an Olympian national champion and the U.S. ski team's latest superstar coming up the ranks. She is back from racing and is home in Park City. Hi everyone, I'm Doug Lewis, two-time Olympic downhiller and two-time national champion from way back in 1986 and 87 when I raced in Copper and Crested Butte and I raced on 225 straight downhill Razi skis. Mm -hmm. Joining me are some of the fastest American downhillers in our Olympic history. AJ Kipp, a first four-time Olympian on the U.S. ski team, World Cup winner, World Championship bronze medalist winner. AJ, you are a four-time national champion. What is the win that you remember most and why? Oh, it's got to be the first one. I mean, I was, uh, I've been on the team for a couple of years. I never went to nationals really as a junior. I wasn't, I wasn't good enough, but um, yeah, that first one was, was, was pretty sweet. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know what everybody thinks about it, but I, I consider a national championship a really big deal. You know, if you're a, a you know, NCAA uh, basketball, football, baseball, any of that kind of stuff, a national championship's huge. And I think that's that's true in ski racing as well. So I'm very proud of all four of my national wins. And uh, that first one was was the best one because it put me on the scene. All right, moving on to Darren Rawls, member of three Olympic teams, a seven-time national championship uh, winner, twice in GS, four times in Super G, and once in D. H in 2001. Darren, your favorite national championships win and why? Hey, Louie. Um, I have to say my last one, my last race I ever did, Sugarloaf, where Bella just won her title. It was a Super G that I won, and that um, yeah, was the last, last race I ever had in alpine skiing. So to finish it off like that was really cool. And But like AJ said, too, you know, I went to like every national except for one year when I got hurt. And it was just, uh, there's a lot of pride, you know, being amongst like the U.S. ski team athletes and show them at nationals and seeing the young kids and, and um, show them how to go fast. And, and uh, we were out there to take it serious and, and um, you know, make everybody else earn it, but trying to lead, you know. I mean, it's, it's a long World Cup season. It's tough as a World Cup athlete to show up and do it, but I didn't miss one if I, if I uh, had a chance of being there. All right, and the founder of American Downhillers, Marco Sullivan, a four-time Olympian, three-time U.S. national champion, one in Super G, twice in downhill. Uh, Marco, your favorite win and why? I'm going to have to agree with AJ on this one. My first one was the sweetest. Um, it was at my home mountain out in Palisades, Tahoe, which was then known as Squaw Valley, and I was 21 years old. It was right after the Olympics in uh, 2002, and I was big hometown favorite or I don't know a favorite as much as like I was gonna get like run out of town if I didn't win it you know <laughs> like I had to win it and I threw down and and was just ahead of a couple other young guns who were chasing us so that was the best one for me Awesome. And now our special guest, she's been waiting patiently. Her name is Bella Wright. Just this year, she went from racing World Cup in December to the hospital with a broken bone to the Olympics in Beijing to a top 10, her best World Cup result ever, 
to the podium and win at the national championships. A roller coaster ride for sure. Before we get to where you are and how you grew up, Bella, you just won your first national championships. Tell us about that, your win in Maine. Yeah, so like you said, it's been a whirlwind of a season. Um, I didn't know what to expect after hurting myself in December. And US Nationals is just like all of you said, it's such an honor to be there and, and feel that camaraderie with everyone at the end of the season. And it is tough after a long season, but when you're there, it's super fun. And it it's, I remember being a little kid going to watch in Palisades Tahoe and watching everyone come down through the finish and dreaming of being able to compete in US nationals one day. And that was aside from the World Cup. So it's always been a dream and to be there at Sugarloaf, we had great weather and amazing snow on that particular day and lucked out. And um, yeah, I just came down to the bottom and shared a podium with my two US ski team teammates, Keely Cashman and Jackie Wiles. And that was, all we were honestly hoping for was us three on the podium and it happened and I'm, I'm super grateful for that. And yeah, when a win feels great, finally. <laughs> nice. On this podcast, we talk about a lot of World Cup downhills, but we've all run the narrow gauge, uh, the head wall, the fall away, the jumps. It's awesome. What were your thoughts on a downhill uh, like narrow gauge? I used to be really intimidated by that track, which it, it is intimidating at times. It's high speeds. We were going, I think I was clocked at 85 miles per hour. And so it, it has a lot of elements to it that you don't always get in the US with speed. And um, I thought it was, I mean, it's always fun to be there, but to go back years later after some more experience and being on World Cup tracks, it's really, it was cool to feel confident on the track and not be so scared of it because I used to be really scared of that track when I was younger. Headwall was terrifying going into that. And now it felt like a piece of cake, but in the best way, like it was still really fun and challenging in its ways, but having a lot more confidence on the track is um, definitely exciting to see the progress over the years. Yeah, narrow gauge was for me, you know, growing up on the East Coast, it was, um, God, it was everything. Like I'd run, you know, run little downhills in different, different ski areas around the East Coast, um, Gore Mountain, Lake Placid, uh, you know, Mount Snow, that kind of stuff. But man, going to, to, uh, to uh, Maine and, and getting on that hill, I mean, riding up the chairlift and the bitter cold wind and, you know, every element about that was, was gnarly. And actually, my first real crash in downhill where I hit a fence was, was after headwall. And uh, back then the fences were little picket fences. So it was, I was, I remember sliding going, waiting for the impact into the fence, just going, Oh, this is going to be the worst thing ever. And, and it wasn't really that bad. So ironically, like I, I gained a lot of confidence about downhill in that crash by hitting that fencing and going, Oh, this wasn't that bad. It wasn't like what I had feared it could be. So I actually gained a lot of confidence to, to push it a little bit harder after that. But um but growing up on the East Coast, I can say this, I've got the license to use the word wicked. It was wicked fast this year, I heard from, from people that raced it. It was, where, where, where was it the fastest? Um, I don't know the exact name. It's when you come off of Kangaroo and you go down onto the flat there. That's yeah. where we were getting clocked the fastest. And it was super wow. bumpy and super good snow, but it just the bumps also made it feel that much faster and we're in our tucks and we get to the bottom. I look at live timing. I'm like, does that say 85 <laughs> in the U S like, I, I don't know where else we go 85, maybe besides copper. 
at times. Um, so it was really exciting to see us get up to those speeds and all the young girls and guys as well were hitting that. So um, it's definitely, it, yeah, it's exciting. That's really cool. Hey, Bella, what was a key section for you on that, uh, that downhill win? Was it coming off of the uh, head wall, like going to the flats? I know it's, uh, that's really key. Was there, was there something else that kind of like stood out where you separate yourself from the other girls? We were looking at video and it was actually felt like Keely, Jackie and myself took very similar lines. But I think that what it was, was from the training run, the difference that I made going from headwall into miles, mile through kangaroo, just carrying my speed onto the flat, because those, those are the three turns that you need it. And that's the last three turns that you can do it. So it was really just trying to be as arrow as possible. And I, I was tucking out of headwall, which is something that I wasn't doing in the past. So just really pushing my limits there and um, seeing what I could get away with. Yeah, I saw a really sweet photo of you. Left footer in your bully was at the bottom of the headwall right there. That one that was posted, I guess, the US ski team threw up there. And Jared was, I think it's the same shot Jared was in, but he was, you know, he was out of his tuck a little bit. Just, uh, I mean, your photo there was just so dynamic and strong looking. And I mean, you could see the confidence in your skiing just from that one shot. But was that below headwall? Thanks. It might have been. I, I think it was either below it or it could have been right before coming into it. But uh, my coaches will tell you I tuck in sometimes not the smartest spot. So it's not always the best thing, but I'm, I'm learning. It's kind of my fighting position. It's whether, yeah, you can tell when I'm trying to be aggressive. Well, there's a saying, when in doubt, tuck it out, right? Yep. <laughs> you can't really go wrong. Yeah. All right, let's go uh, roll it back. Let's begin at the beginning. Tell us where you grew up skiing, any siblings, and were you a ski racer hooked from day one? Yeah, absolutely. My, my parents didn't ski race or anything, but I had two older brothers and we grew up at Snowbird. That's our home mountain. I started in the race program at five years old there and it really just took off. We, we absolutely loved it. It was the best daycare for my parents <laughs> and we were really fortunate and lucky to grow up in that program. And, you know, as I got a little bit older and my brothers were getting older and a little bit more serious, we would go to Beaver Creek every single year and watch all of you and um and then also aspen as well for the women so we just were big fans we loved it and it i just from the as young as i can remember i've been obsessed with it and the environment and going to beaver creek and seeing how much everyone loved to watch it and just dreaming of of being in that start gate it's just it's where it all started for sure Wow, that is awesome. Uh, Marco, AJ, Darren, uh, I don't know if you guys traveled to it, but what was that race or that visit that you went to a, a ski race and, and like Bello, saw it and was hooked? Was it on television or did you see something live that hooked you guys? I have a super specific one, actually, when about the same age as Bella, she said, you know, start race team when you're five. Uh, I was a mighty mite when I was five and I went over to Heavenly Valley. There was a World Cup GS and uh got a picture with Zubriggen and Stenmark and and I just for whatever reason I thought those guys were super cool and from then on I wanted to be a ski racer and that was kind of the start of the whole ride for me. Same for me Marco uh Heavenly World Cup. I remember like Rock Petrovic and a few of those other guys just uh 
you know, just, it was exciting, you know, being down there and seeing the best in the world ski. And, and uh, I don't think it was like the, the moment that really dedicated me to ski racing. I mean, just, I loved going fast and getting challenged and it just slowly evolved for me um, through my, you know, high school years, but that was a standout. It's cool to have world cups in the U S I hope we have more of them. You guys are lucky. I um, I would kill for a, a picture of myself with Zurbriggen and, and Stenmark. God, those guys are my heroes. And I was lucky enough to actually race against them a little bit. Um, the first World Cup racer that I ever met was sitting right there. Well, at least on my screen, Doug Lewis. <laughs> and I was like, I was like 17 years old, I think, Louie. And, you, you know, I think I met you because we, you know, you, you were at GMVS before me and we were on Rosignol all together. And, and I think we were at a training camp or something in Switzerland together. But you know, what hooked me about the sport was just the speed. I mean, I, as a kid, I grew up in New York state and I was at Lake Placid as a freshman and sophomore in high school. And, and, um, you know, running that downhill at Lake Placid, which was the, the Olympic downhill from the 80, from 1980, and then going over to Gore mountain and racing another one, you know, these are, we're talking small downhills from, from being a kid, but just going fast was so cool for me. I loved it. I loved the, the, the puzzle of trying to figure out you know, where to pressure the ski and how to roll over jumps and all that stuff, you know, combining all those little elements was the, was the thing for me that really hooked me about the sport. So, um, Hey, Bella, you know, speaking of that, as a, as a kid growing up, you know, we've got, um, you know, Marco started this, this great, uh, American downhiller thing with, with the camp and, and trying to teach the elements of, of the sport to, to the youth of our country to bring them up as experienced downhillers when they get to be, 17, 18, 19 years old. What was it for you that, that allowed you to develop as a downhiller being from where you, where you came from? It was a battle. I'm very jealous of kids nowadays. And I, I think American downhiller is doing so much on that side of things. But for me, it was really tough. I mean, coming from Snowbird, I was a slalom skier as most of us start out as. And it there was no room to train speed. We did Super G early mornings every you know every December um but it was 40 seconds and it was very mellow train and the same thing the whole time so I moved to Jackson Hole for a couple years got a little bit more speed there then I moved to Aspen for a couple years and got some more there but I was really independent at that point I was running my own show and I was just trying to chase speed everyone was telling me to just go ski tech in college and I have nothing against college it's just it wasn't my dream and so I really just pushed as hard as I could to keep trying to find speed training, but it was, it was tough. And then, you know, Norams, there's only four downhills anymore per year. So it just felt like a never ending, like, how do I make that next step? How do I get there? And um, I, I think that the program that you're running is amazing to have kids get into it more and develop them from a younger age and give them more opportunity to train because I honestly I didn't really have that um so I'm, I'm excited to see the future change that for sure interesting to hear that you went from a club to club and traveled searching for training searching for speed if you could think about it what were the common awesome aspects of each coach that you went through what was there a common theme in some of the coaches that you had that all said one thing or, or a couple of things that were the same that have still rung true? What were the, some of the best coaching you've had throughout? 
I think I've had many motivators through coaching and all the different clubs that I've been at and they're all like home to me. I think the general theme is just having someone that's there to push you, but also make this job fun. And I, I say that um, because I've never really thought of it as a job. Everything that I do outside of skiing is my job to get me prepared for when I'm on the mountain. But when I'm there, that's just my escape. And, you know, it's just bliss at that point and when I'm enjoying. And they always did a really great job of making me feel like this is what I want to do. And here's how we're going to try and get you to that next step and motivate me. But, you know, they also knew my love of speed and they didn't push the other things on me that other people did. And I, I really appreciated that. So just a great support group in general and somebody that really understands your dreams and your goals and what path you want to take because all of our paths are different and there's a million ways you can do it. It, Bella, I remember uh, we talked about the camp a little bit. I think it was three or four years ago when you were in Mammoth. I maybe rehabbed an injury and you came over and like, hey, can I hop in with you guys for a couple of days? And uh, you got some training runs at the camp. And at that point, you were a great fist racer, obviously, but um, seems like your ascent to the World Cup just in the last three years has been pretty quick where now you're a real contender um what do you feel like was the catalyst for that I remember that I'm glad you remember that that's awesome um yeah I mean at that point I was like I said kind of mostly on my own and trying to figure it out and I think that I I went the next year and was more consistent with Norams that next season and more in there and getting on podiums and almost getting a title and I ended up third that year. And so didn't get a world cup spot, but I got my first um, invite to a US ski team camp. And was that in downhill, Bella? Sorry? Was that in downhill or super G? Downhill, I think super G, I might've been fourth um, or something like that. But yeah, I came up just short and I, you know, I'm getting older at this point, <laughs> older in terms of ski racing. And I knew that my shots were running pretty thin and I got invited to my first camp and I was an invitee that whole next year. So I had my first world cups um, and then won my first Noram title in super G that next year. So really just consistently climbing the ranks, but I, I would say, I guess later than I wanted to, but also later than a lot of my competitors around me. And as soon as I got that Noram Super G title, I remember thinking, okay, this next year, you're gonna have to make this jump. You're gonna have to do it, um, whether you're on the US ski team or not. And luckily I, I was named to the US ski team and to have those resources are absolutely amazing. And I think that that changed a lot in my career, obviously, and went into the World Cup that next year, which is now last season. And, um, yeah, scored my first points. And honestly, I just, it felt like do or die. I felt like I had to do it if I wanted to keep ski racing and just kept climbing those ranks and gaining more confidence. Can you talk a little bit about patience? It seems like you just wanted it. And I know Marco and Darren and AJ and I were just like that. I mean, I growing up, I had my journal. I wanted it. I wanted it. But you have to have that patience. How did you find patience when you wanted it so badly so quickly 
Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I think uh, patience, it, it's kind of forced upon you, like you said. And I, I think just if you love something enough, you're willing to wait for it. As cheesy as that can sound, it just, I went from my first injuries in 2016 and until I made the U.S. ski team, I was stuck in like a five, six year drought, honestly, like my career was up and down, up and down. And I just was rolling with the punches and it was really hard at times, but I think that I knew what I had. And I, I knew that if I could get to that next step, I, I had something to show and improve on. And, um, I think, yeah, I just, I had to be patient and I had to let it happen um, because I, I didn't want it to all end right there. And it's really easy. It would have been easy for me to give up. That's for sure. But, um, I think that it's just that much sweeter now that I've, I've rolled with all of that and made it through it, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just, I mean, you can't wait to it happens, right? I mean, you obviously just got to keep grinding going and you were motivated with a lot of passion and, and driven. That's kind of what it takes. I mean, um, I just don't like the, I just don't like thinking about waiting for something to happen you know and you just you just stayed committed you had support obviously from your family and coaches and all that stuff was awesome and and like you said Darren when I was in it I was grinding and I didn't think that I was going to go through five years of oh no what am I doing at that point I was just hoping it was going to be a week or a month and then I would get out of that rut but it just yeah I mean when you're in it you just have to yeah, that's really part of it. So what, how old were you when you made the team? Put that in perspective for everybody, you know, just all these younger kids. 23. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was really late. I mean, I felt like I was a late one making it 19. Yeah. And especially I like, the, I think I might be the latest. Yeah. Essentially. It, it's so cool to see that, you know, and, and uh, especially for females, like it's just usually girls are making the team a lot earlier. And I think, you know, you and, and Breezy teaming up, up, I think it's a really good, good match. You know, it's nice to have a teammate that's on the same product, same tech and working together. And, and she's going to need you to come back, you know, strong. I mean, after injury, but you guys can just start just um, kind of working off each other. And, and she knows that you got the speed. So you guys get on the track that when you're training, whoever's fastest that day, you guys should know that you're competitive with the rest of the world. And I think that's what helped me a ton with Bodie when we were doing all our, all our um, training off season. Definitely. Yeah. It's a good point. I've, I've known Breezy since I was eight and we've raced together ever since. And she was a year older. So every other year we would be together. Um, but exactly what you said, it's, it's so great to have someone who is, at, you know, getting her first podiums consistently and climbing up those ranks more and more and more. And when we're training together, we're doing the same thing. And when, you know, we're, we're just a team within a team, which is, um, I, I think you've all probably experienced when you share a technician, it just, it has a, a different bond. And I'm really grateful to have her and Alesh and uh, learn from both of them. They have more experience than I do. So I'm learning every day. And um, yeah, I'm very thankful for that. Let's jump in, jump into that um, with Alesh and your uh, ski sponsor. 
what does the next two months look like? Are you testing skis next week? Do you get some time off? Where do you go as far as your equipment testing so you can start prepping for next year? We definitely want to do some more equipment testing for me, uh, play with the boot a little bit more, but we were originally going to go to Norway this spring for a camp and that actually got canceled on the women's side. So we're heading to Palisades, I believe, at the end of the month. And we're going to be doing a, um, a GS-based camp, which is what I would say most of the athletes, if not all, really want a GS focus. And so I think that we're going to have to leave the testing, the speed stuff a little later in the year, but definitely can play with the setup a lot on the, the tech side and um, get a good GS-based underneath us. That's important this time of year. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been, it's been a lot of speed. I need some, <laughs> I need some tech help, <laughs> but yeah, it should, it should be good. And I think I was skiing all events until the U S ski team. And so was Keely Cashman. And there's a lot of people that are still in there in GS and really want to pursue that. And I think that it just, like you said, the ability to be able to snap off a downhill turn or a super G turn, like a GS turn, like Marta Bassino does or Michaela Schifrin does, it's it's super important and you need that element. And all of the top girls are skiing GS from Sofia Goja to Queen Suter, all of them. They're in there and it's I think it's great training, but it's also great race simulation training for them. And it's maybe a little less pressure than the speed events, but um, it's been exciting to see everyone push more and more for that base because I, I think it's super important. Hey, Bella, um, talk about a little bit about coaching for you. I mean, at the level that you're at, you know, number one, your, your, your age, you've been in the sport for a really long time, you know, your experience level, having, you know, success at the World Cup. Um, what do you look for in a coach? I mean, are you, are you looking for someone to um, um, really give you technical feedback every day? Or is it more like guidance? Is it more just create your, the, the best environment for you to succeed. Um, and what's, what's, what's ideal for you right now? And maybe flip it back to what was, what was the most important thing that you look for in a coach when you were like 16, 17, 18, 19 years old as you were developing into where you are today? I think that you always need a motivator. You always need someone that is going to handle the good and the bad days equally. And I have, obviously, I think we all have experienced a lot of different coaches throughout our careers and there's been more positive and more negative experiences, but I would say I, at this level and where I'm at right now, I need someone that's going to motivate me and that believes in me as much as I do in myself. And that breaking it down to that technical aspect, like you mentioned, I think that as long as my technique is there, I don't really need to focus on line. I don't need to focus on a lot of the other stuff. It's always having a good technical base and having my body position in a, in a good spot. And the rest is off of instinct. And that's something that I've always really tried to focus on. And on race day, I don't get course reports really. I just try and go off of my instincts and know that my body position is there. So somebody that can really, Continue to help me with that, find um, the best body position for my personal makeup. And 
bringing it back to when I was 16, 17, I think that that's an age where you're emotionally going through a lot. It's um, a big turning point in your ski racing career. And I think that just, again, having someone that is supportive in that role and can see the bigger picture is super important to me. And um, yeah, at the end of the day, I've had a lot of really good coaches, but I think the great ones have just been able to see something that others can't. That's really interesting to hear. I mean, I, I, I have to say that, that if I think back about the coaches I had when I was on the World Cup, motivation was the, would be the first thing I would say. And I'm glad to hear that you said that without me prompting you about it as one of the options. But, um, you know, motivating is, is motivating and support and belief in your athlete, I think is so critical for, for coaches. Um, and I don't know that we get enough of that these days at the junior ranks. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I, I agree. I think the, the belief and the confidence and the motivation trumps the technical and the tactical, yeah. uh, although you need it all. Let's dive in a little deeper, Bella. What's the, what's, I'm going to ask you both a technical goal and a mental skills goal, but what's that, what's that technical goal that's going to take you from 10th this year to the podium next year? What's something that you're going to work on technically over the summer that's going to get you there? For me, it's always focusing on a strong core. Um, and I think in speed, it's really easy to lose that because for one, all the forces, but two, you're going into that aerodynamic tuck position. And a lot of the times you can release tension with that. And this is something I've talked a lot about with Paul Christophic. Um, and it's about keeping tension through your tuck turns through every single turn. So focusing on like engaging your core and driving that into the next turn, that's something that really helps me. And I'm really tall. I'm five, I'm over 5'10 and I just need with all the forces and speed and the different turns, I can't turn like a, a Tessa Worley or someone like that that's five foot two and has a completely different makeup. So I need to figure out for me, how am I going to use my length in an effective way and engage and have that strong, um, you know, core foundation to be able to push on the ski and uh, build speed off of that. What are you going to work on? So you arrive at that starting gate. Is it confidence? Is it focus? Is it uh, embracing failure? What's that mental skill that's going to now take you to the, to the podium? I think it... <sighs> I, I guess the biggest thing is if I know that I am focusing on good skiing, it's probably going to be a, a decent run. Whereas when I'm focused on line and then I'm focused on, yeah, I have to be a, a meter off this blue dye line and then two meters off this and then on the exit gate, it's like too much. So that's why I really have honed in on trying to figure out my course reports, trying to see what's too much information, what's not enough information. So I think that, again, rolling back to just, I need to focus on good skiing and then roll off of my instincts off of there, the line. I can pull off maybe going a little straight on this turn as long as I have that foundation underneath me and pushing the boundaries of what I can get away with. Um, but I, I would say just trusting myself, which I'm getting better at, but it's, uh, it's a learning process and a building process always. <laughs> I think just knowing that you belong, right? Just getting that gate, knowing that when you ski your best, it can be the best out there and just having that confidence. Um, 
just to elaborate a little more on you talked about body position what's like what you what's a body position do you have to like execute to like just rip a good turn and make speed out of it the one of the biggest things for me is focusing on my ankles being cocked um and kind of like that anterior tip exercise that really helps me and it's you can think of it as pulling your feet behind you that didn't really work for me as well so I focused on keeping my ankles cocked and engaged because then I'm always on the front I can react really quickly and my hips are you know aligned and over my skis and so therefore I'm over my downhill ski so that's that's huge for me and something that Alesh has introduced to me that he makes me do like 10 times a day is focus on hands driving forward as I'm, whether I'm in a tuck or just normal turn with that foundation underneath me and driving through the turn that way with my arms. Uh, obviously for aerodynamics, you always hear hands forward, but I think if you, one thing he wants me to practice doing is doing it outside of ski boots against against a wall, whatever it is, to really just ingrain that muscle memory. And so that's something I've been doing as well is just uh, even outside of my ski boots, practicing something that's gonna click in my brain for when I'm in trouble to remember to go go here and not here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the end result can be can be um, attained by different different moves, you know? So what do you do to get that ankle flexion? Yeah. I. I basically if your foot's on the ground lifting your entire your big toes like everything fully up towards your shin and that you can feel it engage right away even when you're out of a ski boot and it's that much more intense in a boot so that's what I focus on is just pulling my whole foot up towards my shin um because you're never actually going to get it all the way up there but focusing on that as much as you can and that's kind of what helped me achieve that and made that switch in my head when I'm skiing I remember my my first World Cup didn't end well. I crashed, uh, but we all remember going into those World Cups and being intimidated. Were you intimidated your first uh, World Cup experiences? And then how did you get over that intimidation and, and believe in yourself? Yeah, so my first World Cup experience was in Lake Louise, which I had done a lot of NORAMs there. Never the full track as the World Cup, but... I had done it. And so I felt fairly confident in that, that I had been there and it was a familiar place and it wasn't somewhere like Val d'Isere where I <laughs> had never been. And it was a little bit more aggressive, I guess. But going into Lake Louise, it was dumping snow that day. And my teammate, AJ Hurt, uh, crashed and got lifted by a heli. She was eventually okay. But just, it was a lot of delays. I think I ran at 3.30 PM that day. Um, I was in the fifties for my bib and snow was absolutely coming down. Couldn't see, it was the darkest run I've ever done. Snow was sticking to my goggles. Um, so that was, it was pretty gnarly. <laughs> I got to the finish and the first thing I said was that was not gonna be good, but I made it somehow, some way. Um, and I did a couple more World Cups that year, one of them including Bansko, which was a very intimidating place to be. And then eventually the following year went to kind of all the classics. And I would say to get over that initial fear, it was having a little more time um, on my speed skis and higher quality training. But ultimately believing what I did in training was enough for racing because 
that was the biggest thing for my coaches is what I was doing in training was enough for a world cup. And it took me a while to realize that. And I still think it can be a battle to realize that, but at the end of the day, I'm not doing anything special in training. I'm just skiing and it ends up being, you know, I, I come down from a run in, in training and it's a good run because I'm not tense. There's not all this rigidness to my skiing. I'm just flowing. And so that's something I try to bring into the races. And I think I've gotten better at that. And it's, um, it's becoming more natural and uh, muscle memory at this point. How about you, Marco? How did you get over being intimidated in a World Cup? I thought I was like really cool when I started racing World Cup and I crashed, I think, seven times in the first year or something. <laughs> so I had to scale it back a little bit, but I like Bella's approach of you know, talking about just finding that flow and and really trusting that you are good enough to to pull it off and we all reach that at some point where you know your best skiing you can win or now you were in the top 10 this year like you're you know you got that locked down and that those next steps are are getting on the real steps up on the podium and it's going to be awesome i mean i think you're really really well spoken athlete and you're you should do really well with the media and sponsors and all that kind of stuff. So that, that on top of the fact that you're fast as hell and you're winning races, is going to be really great for you. So it's exciting. Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. And that, thank you all for, for having me on. It's been an honor and I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, so it's been great to be a part of it. Um, and one thing I want to, drop out there for the listeners is the biggest thing that people have told me since I, you know, I think I've had 25 World Cup starts now, somewhere around there. And I've been to most places once and next year, I'm still going to have some new tracks. So it's still exciting for me. But the biggest thing is everyone said, it's going to take five years for you to be fast at that track. And I'm here to tell you that that's total BS. I, I don't believe in it. I think that a right turn is a right turn and a left turn is a left turn and you know how to ski those. So it's really just about trusting yourself and applying what you do in training, bring it to the World Cup, bring it to the NORAM, whatever level you're at and realize that it doesn't take long to be fast at tracks. Anyone can be fast at them the day of their first day, whatever it is. It's the experience that you have mentally. So do not let it, don't let it, determine your outcome if it's your first time at a track because it can be your personal best result which is what has happened to me every single time um so far and it you know I'm not saying that it's easy but you can't let that experience get in your head you have to push past that and realize that you know I know how to ski this turn I can do it I'm gonna add to that too just because it's such good advice um yeah that's you hear it all the time like you got to know the track the other one is that you hear from kids is that I'm too small to be a downhiller, you know, like look at a couple of guys on this podcast, <laughs> yeah. not the biggest, but you find that intensity, you find that confidence and you see guys all the time win races when they've never seen the track and uh, guys and girls and you got to have confidence charge. Yeah. The notion that it's supposed to take you a few years to get faster to track and it's it's just an excuse to be mediocre so i'm glad to see all of us agree that that's not a strategy that anybody should should take to uh to the races now whatever level you're at 
Yeah, absolutely. And they're still telling people that they're still, they're still out there saying it's going to take some time. And it just immediately, like you said, it puts you back. And then it, you're going into that race thinking, ah, I'm not going to do that great today. Cause it's my first day at the track and you're already five steps, five steps in the grave at that point. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, just definitely have the confidence and, and realize that any turn is like any other, it's just maybe on a different place. And this time you're looking at the Alps. This is perfect. I think all five of us kind of don't follow the rules. We believed in ourselves so much, have the confidence that we broke some of the rules getting there. And that's what you have to do. Confidence, belief. Thanks, Bella, for being our guest and sharing your thoughts and stories. Follow Bella on Instagram at bellsright, B-E-L-L-S-W-R-I-G-H-T. Thanks to Darren, Marco, and AJ for sharing us, sharing their thoughts with us as well. Thanks for watching and listening to our American Downhiller podcast. If you liked it, spread the word, share with your friends, post it, tell your coaches, just search American Downhiller podcast and watch the video version exclusively on SkiRacing.com. If you have a question for Marco, AJ, Darren or Bella, info at americandownhiller.com. Email us at info at americandownhiller.com. We hope to see you all at American Downhill Camp this summer on snow or at Elite Team's Dryland Camp also this summer. Thanks, and always remember, ski fast, take chances. <laughs>